Hello and welcome back to the Great Take Guy podcast. Um, with me today is one of my favorite humans. And you may notice that I say that a lot on this show, and it's because I only feature my favorite humans on this show. <laughs> um, but this particular one has a special place in my heart. Um, in addition to being a profound impact on my life and my growth and my development. There's a lot of who I am that I owe to her. Um, she's an expert in so many different areas that I have yet to explore. So this is kind of like a, a fortunate treat that she is on here with us today. In addition to running a nudist resort and being a remarkable human being in general, um, she's going to be talking with us today about a 56-year-old married woman's experience of polyamory and online dating. Welcome to the show. Is there anything that you'd like to add to that introduction about who you are? Um, no, that's a great place to start. Brilliant. Um, so I think maybe we can start with the basics for anyone who is not familiar with polyamory. What does that word mean to you? Well, what the two words mean are many and love. So many loves. And polyamory at its heart then would be expressing connection to many people. And if someone's... Um, uh, in speaking for myself, I'm someone who's really known as a loving person and has really devoted her life to having people have great lives, right? And yep. um, so then wanting there to be some freedom and expressing that physically also is actually not that big a stretch. And my husband's like that as well. So my husband's uh, in the, in the past, we practiced polyamory mostly together and mostly because of his physical limitations. He's quite a bit older than I am. Um, isn't able to express sexually and physically in a way that really works for us. Mm. So he loves me so much and loves to see my face smiling so much that he's really my partner in having interesting, caring people in our lives. Mm. I think the first thing that comes up for me when I think about my personal experience with polyamory and exploring that realm was like just how much reactiveness came up for me around like, oh, like my partner has been with another person um, there was a lot of jealousy for me and I guess in, in experiencing that, I'm curious, like how, if you had to navigate that, if that showed up and how you would recommend if someone were to, I guess that's a lot of questions all at once. So maybe, maybe we start with that and then I'll follow up with the other question. Yeah, I think I can point to something on it, Rob, is a woman who 
her and her family were two couples that lived together. And that was how I started reading and finding out about polyamory. And what I was really intrigued by is the concept that as polyamory as a, as a sexual preference. Mm. And I, and from the people that I've had meaningful conversations with, I think that that's maybe the best way to describe it because it's not, it's really something that I think you kind of are, or you're not. And that you know i wouldn't say like totally hardwired but pretty hardwired so for instance my husband is his the word that he's discovered that is really a self-expression for him is compersion and compersion is pleasure at someone else's pleasure so he doesn't feel jealous when i'm with someone else he feels happy But if, but if that experience caused someone pain, then, or, you know, jealousy to the point that, you know, it's not like a twinge, it's something that is a big distraction in your relationship, then I don't think that putting someone through that is particularly loving. Unless the person had a commitment of working through it, if the person had a commitment of working through it and you did it inside of your connection with each other that's very distinct then for some people I, I know that there's you know real real pain involved or jealousy that keeps them up nights and is it's not a loving experience mm. And, you know, that's kind of interesting is that, you know, we're also, I'm, I'm not going to get into it very much, but that's, was kind of the thing that I would check in with when I was the manager of the nudist resort, because I introduced people who'd never been to a nudist resort before and gave them an idea of what they could expect and what we expected of them. But, you know, we went to the nudist resort because it was fun and relaxing for us. If it is not that way for someone, then they shouldn't go. You know, if it's traumatic in some way or this, you know, then then it's not, that's not what it's about. It's not about getting people to do something that doesn't work for them. That makes a lot of sense. And is I feel like I want to contribute here, but I actually have very little meaningful stuff to contribute here. Um, I suppose that leads me in the direction of like maybe ground rules because I'm hearing that like one something that came up twice now is operating in a very loving way. Um, what do you think is necessary to make a polyamorous relationship work and work in a way that like works for everyone involved? Because I imagine that would be very complex, that dynamic with so many different people. It is. So you know, if, if you ever got a chance, I think it was on Showtime, there was a program called Polyamory Ma Married and Dating. And this one couple in San Diego, it was like, it was like a full-time job <laughs> to manage all these relationships. <laughs> um, 
and I think that's something that you're either drawn to or you're not, right? And But on some level, in my case, for the most part, it actually isn't that complicated. And when you have really rewarding friendships or business interactions, there's particular rules that you follow to bring out the best in the other person and bring out the best in yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not a big stretch to put that in a romantic context. So if you, you know, I have a, I have a, a close friend who also has a podcast that's a relationship coach. And one of the um, topics he had was don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's a winner. <laughs> be nice. Don't be a dick. <laughs> you know, it's, so it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. And it can be. Um, but you have a sense of what each other's um, soft underbelly is. So that you make it as safe as possible. Hmm. And, you know, I know a little bit about your, you know, you and I are close friends and I know a little bit about your experience with polyamory, but that you were being lied to was not a loving act. Yeah. Dishonesty is not a loving act. Being sneaky is not a loving act. Now, is it human and do people mess up? But if you don't clean it up and you don't show a change in the behavior then that's not polyamory. That's getting what you want at the expense of someone you care about. Mm. I think that's going to be a really important distinction. Um, Because from what I've seen in the dating world, there are a lot of people that are operating under the banner of polyamory, but doing more of getting what they want. and and to me that's it's such a tricky thing to navigate like maybe it works for some people maybe it works for the people that they're dating i can't really know for sure but i, I think it's unfortunate that that's happening yeah those are my thoughts there i really have yeah yeah well and you know that i recently you know i had had an experience with polyamory that was amazing for almost 2 years and he had never really participated in that before and wanted to be involved with somebody else, but his behavior towards me changed so much that he stopped being loving with me. And I'm, you know, there were things that were sneaky and there were things that didn't have my buy-in. And so that's, I think, and it's not so much like buy-in, like mother may I, it's buy-in of, being incredibly responsible that everyone involved is dealing with their most vulnerable self. I'm going to jump into this podcast with a brief intermission and check in. How are you doing so far? Are you enjoying what you're hearing? (laughs) And if you are, um, don't forget to leave us a comment or subscribe or a rating or something. Uh, If you've heard the podcast and you're getting something out of it, it helps us a lot. Um, I don't know why I keep on saying us. 
I feel like it's kind of like a safety in numbers kind of thing. It's it's just me, <laughs> and it helps this podcast grow. So, yeah, do that. And with that, we're going to return to the podcast. Vulnerable mm. in your body, vulnerable in your sexuality, vulnerable in sharing your heart, vulnerable in risking something that really matters to you being messed with. To me, um, it's landing like you get to the deepest level of truth available and you try to stay in that space as much as possible. Does that map to what you're expressing right now? Um, a, a little bit. I don't know that it's the, it's more like being very responsible, how critical it is to have it be a safe environment. Like, including when you're not with your partner, like having it be safe for your partner, for you to be out with someone else, that takes something. Mm. I mean, it takes, it takes something. And then the other side, then the other side of it is, is that if you're the person who's home and the other person's out, then, you know, that can be a whole power dynamic too. Right. So if, you know, you're playing like they have to do mother may I all the time, or they're going to have to deal with a lot with you to do that. Then also that's also not loving. Hmm. It's really interesting hearing about this because we've been exploring a lot of, I would say more fringe lifestyles. And within that we've done like BDSM, we've talked about orgasmic meditation and now, now with Polly, um, what I'm hearing is this consistent baseline of safety. And the more, the more people stand to be hurt, the more vulnerable they can be in that space. Obviously there's more to be gained. Like this could be a very rich, amazing experience, but without that foundation of safety and that safety has to be as close to absolute as can be generated in those two other scenarios. I'm hearing it's really important here as well. Um, those gains don't exist. It, it, there's room for that to go down a really dark path. So I'm happy that we're talking about this and it's cool seeing that there's that connection. Like it's always safety first. It's always communicating first. What do you need? What are your boundaries? What does work for you? What doesn't work for you? Yeah. And right, you know, like completely entwined with safety is trust. Hmm. How would you So there's a certain amount of trust that you're going to keep my well-being at heart. And not even a certain amount, a huge amount, right? A huge amount. Now and it, and it's on all sides. So it's on the person who's coming into an established relationship, them feeling safe and not left out and like they matter. Just because they aren't part of the established relationship doesn't mean their opinions are any less valid than or what they want and need isn't any less valid than what the maybe the established couple wants and needs. And for everyone to be heard and checked in with is is the and being willing to hear stuff you don't want to hear. That's 
one of the things that I <laughs> that I ran into about well, within my experience that I found to be very challenging it was, it was very confronting because of all the dynamics that were happening being in constant communication trying to do it with integrity managing all the emotions and having like things land really painfully about like hey what you're doing isn't working for me that was that was such I mean, I think immensely growthful just from like having that experience, but it was also just like so painful to be with. Um, yeah, so I feel like we're, we're touching on some really important stuff here. And I also want to be cognizant of if you're listening right now, like what might you be what, what might you be looking for? And what came to mind was, and let me know if this is too much of a deviation. Um, how would you begin to know whether or not you're poly? Like, what do you, how does that show up for you? And like, what do you look for? I don't know if it's looking for, if you know, like, it, like in my, I, you know, and I certainly can't speak for every person. It's, um, for me and another, you know, another mutual friend of ours, Michael, um, Michael came into my life and Michael's this very handsome, dynamic gay man um, who's brilliant and, you know, our eyes locked. He came into a room and asked me a question and our eyes locked and it was like, the, it, was, it was like falling in love. Hmm. It was like, who are you? I want to be with this person. I want to know this person. And... I've been having crushes on people and falling in love with people like since I was 14 years old. And I've always felt very awkward and adolescent about it and embarrassed and like it shouldn't be happening. And it was massively inconvenient being married to someone and then having those feelings for someone other than my spouse. And, mm. um, and I just tortured myself about it for you know, 20 years. Mm. And so I, so he and I would talk and we'd have the most amazing conversations. And I left him a message and I was like, oh man, I said, I'm in love with you. I'm sorry. I'm in love with you. And that doesn't obligate you to anything, but I just that need to communicate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And he called me back and he said, I can't think of anyone else I'd rather have in love with me. Hmm. And that comment was so healing for me. For someone to accept my love and not have to have it go down a particular path and didn't have to be resisted, didn't have to judge it and just got my love. Hmm gave me such a sense of self-acceptance of, oh, that's just something I do. I can, you know, I don't have any say about it. I, you know, I, if I woke up in the morning and I, you know, I wouldn't put myself through that kind of anguish by choice. So I just was like, oh, okay. I fall in love with people and get crushes on people and their age and gender don't matter that much. <laughs> I just... That's like, that's how I'm designed. Now, do I have, you no, know, does that entitle me to anything? Absolutely not. You know, I have to 
ask permission and get people's permission and you know respect what their boundaries are and what works for them and all of that but it is a it's a whole transcended relationship with how, how I had wound up going through life. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I also wanted to step back and really highlight your the way you communicated. Um, part of part of what I touch on is within dating and relationships, it makes a lot of sense to be vulnerable upfront. It makes a lot of sense to be forward. And there's a lot of societal pressure to not do any of those things. And the way that you communicated your love was so vulnerable. Like, even though I've spent like two or three years, like really diving into vulnerability and self-expression, hearing that was like, oh, that's like, that's dangerous. That's risky. And I, I have to acknowledge that that's, that's such, I feel like the risk with vulnerability is always that we open ourselves up to a little bit more hurt. It's a, it's a little bit more possible. But when it's received and received well, it's like that's life-changing. And I think that's always been the trade-off. And what you did there was like, I can't think of a more vulnerable thing to say to another human being. Yeah, and it absolutely altered my experience of life. It actually had me celebrate being a loving person and not have to cram it down. Mm. Or be careful or you know until it maybe came out inappropriately or something like that so i i grew up a lot in that but it also just really freed me up i'm just it completely freed me up to be myself while still being responsible that my actions are okay with who i'm interacting with That's a level of freedom that I aspire to, and I can see how that would be a huge unlock, um, especially with something that would be as potentially troublesome as like crushing on random people and, and within a culture where that's like just generally poo-pooed and frowned upon, like it's shamed um, to be able to get above that and operate in a way where like, hey, this is just part of who I am. I don't have expectations around it. And I can express this in a way where it can land safely and not make this other person feel like they're obligated to do anything. Um, that's a big deal. And that's something that I would, would want for and anyone listening to this podcast. How would you say that you got to that point? Like, what, what do you think made the biggest difference? Hmm. Um, I also want to create as much time and space here as you need. Um, one of the things that I like to emphasize is comfort within silence. And I think that it's important that people take the time to look for what's real there. So there's no pressure from me to rush to an answer. And I know this is a big question. Yeah, I don't know what... I, 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 you know, I always have something to say, but I would, um, I don't know what to say about it other than that conversation was being willing 
I think it's being willing to a certain extent, being willing to acknowledge that someone's gotten under your skin and that it doesn't obligate them to anything. And there, there does need to be a pretty profound level of self-responsibility. You know, again, when one of the, the resort that I managed, we served alcohol and, you know, naked people and alcohol sounds like a pretty bad idea mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially in the hundreds um and how i used to set it up because i would let people know again what what you could expect from us and what we'd expect of you and i said so the rule here is you're responsible for everything attached to you whether there's alcohol in it or not so you don't get a pass here in fact the opposite is true if you can't be responsible with your drinking in this environment then either don't be in the environment don't drink or both or figure it out because it's a no pass Mm. making other people uncomfortable in that environment is a no pass and I would say that it's that I've really kind of internalized that. So, you know, I'm responsible for everything attached to me, whether I'm crushing on someone or not, whether I'm attracted to someone or not, whether I love somebody or not, I'm responsible for everything attached to me. So when you don't obligate the other person to something and you've actually learned that in life, so that's some level that I am a hundred percent responsible for my behavior, what comes out of my mouth, the actions that I take. Then that gives you a lot of room to have a lot of conversations with people, particularly when they know that you're going to respect their response. Yeah, I love that this came up and I want to piggyback on that as well. I think one of the most profound things that came into my life in the realm of responsibility was beginning to understand that I didn't have to be responsible for my emotions, but if I wasn't, then life was just kind of happening to me. Things were happening to me. I was sort of in that victim role. But the minute that I begin to choose to be responsible for my happiness or how I feel moment to moment, I also get to change how I feel moment to moment. And that's that in of itself is is huge. Um, and I love that you brought the other like the other aspects of it. Like this feels like a more complete picture of responsibility. And I was really hoping that we would get here for the person that's listening, because I think within the realm of the normal responsibility means that I am obligated to look after this thing. It's like a duty and a burden. Whereas I think in this context, it can be very, very empowering. Responsibility is, I think, one of the fastest accesses to growth that we have. I'm curious if that lines up with your experience of it. Completely. I would say everything that really, really, really matters to me came from being willing to be 100% responsible for exactly how it is and exactly how it isn't. And 
and whatever actions I do or don't take that are consistent with what I'm interested in and actions consistent with what I'm interested in completely includes the buy-in of the other people involved, regardless of what it is, not necessarily romantic. You know, we're, you know, whether it's greed or what we call success or, you know, who wants to be president or the promotion that we want or the leadership we want to provide in our communities or organizations or companies that I really can um, impact the results inside of being willing to be responsible for what I take in, in service of those, of those wants. I'm not going to get them from wanting the act of wanting, it's a start. It will give you some play, you know, like yeah. it'll give you a game. To, wanting will give you a game to play, but you got to play the game. Yeah. I think that's been like a major downfall of a lot of the stuff that's come out lately about like, I just got to think abundantly. I mean, that's, yeah, that's possible. That's part of it. I think thinking abundantly helps. And if I'm not playing the game, if I'm not taking actions, that helped me to live abundantly. If I don't get the experience of being an abundant person, I'm not going to get there. Um, and I, it's hard for me to believe right now, but we're like we're we're pushing up against the end of our time here. So I have like one more question for you before we begin to wrap. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So this is something that came up on the last interview that I did, and I, I like this question a lot. So uh, I would love to know, and for the people listening, uh, I think they would be interested too. What's your most controversial belief about love, connection, relationships? I have the radical belief that we can do a lot better than we have in relationships and marriage and how we treat each other. And I think that's a pretty radical if you really live that way, it's pretty radical. Mm. What do you think it takes? Well, it takes, I don't think that we're very, as a culture, and, you know, this is being played out on a national stage in a very brutal way. We're not very good at having difficult conversations we're not very good at disagreeing without being disagreeable mm. we're not very good at being willing to set aside our um experience of feeling threatened and go beyond it if we feel threatened it just means pull back yeah, or make blame life, the other person and make life smaller, fight. blame the other person, any of those things, rather than how critical it is that we listen to each other. And maybe that's how I find out that you and I probably shouldn't live together, but that doesn't mean we can't contribute to each other. Yeah, that's huge. 
I think. Or maybe we want to live together. We want to continue to live together, but I'm willing to let that person be on their journey and get the most that this life has to offer. And here's how that could work for me. Like being willing to look at what could work, I think is something that we're very weak at. Yeah, that is a really radical idea. And uh, I know that you and I are in the habit of saying like things, there's nothing wrong here. This this idea that that even if someone is deep in that response of like being really triggered or having a disagreeable time or holding a belief different different than mine, there's there's really nothing, no morality here. There's there's nothing technically wrong with the situation, and I found that that statement is actually very very triggering for folks because they're like, of course there's something wrong here. You shouldn't be doing blah blah blah. And it's such a knee-jerk reaction, I think, right now. And even for me, like, when someone doesn't hold the same belief as me, it's really easy for me to reflexively make them into the bad guy. And I think that this is so critical because when we begin to do work around controlling that response, whether I'm just slow breathing and learning to calm down my fight-or-flight response, or pushing through and giving them an opportunity to explain why they believe those things, I believe that if I dig for long enough, eventually I'm going to find out the little pieces that make that belief make sense. For that person, what they chose, what they believe, it makes perfect sense based off of what they experienced. And when I can get to that, all of that can be resolved. I can stop making this person into the villain. But it's so tricky, and I love that you pointed to that. Um, and I guess in the time left, if you had one piece of advice to give to the people listening right now, what would it be? I think the most critical piece is uh, developing self-honesty. So it's being honest enough with yourself that something's important enough to you. You know, my former spouse and I had a conversation as we, when, you know, right rarely on the cusp of our separation where I said to him, look, there are ways of communicating that are really, really, really important to me. And you're never going to give that to me. It doesn't work for you. It occurs as a threat for you. And there's things from me that I'm never going to give you. And all we're going to do is continue to make each other wrong for not giving each other this thing that's important to us. And that has no integrity. So if you got real honest about what really matters to you and you can have that buy-in with your partner or you can really say, you know, this is so important to me that I'm not willing to be in a relationship that doesn't have this. Then it gives the other person a real choice. And they could say, you know, I'm not willing to lose you, so I'm going to do some work on it. Or they could say, you know, you're right. I'm never going to give that to you. And what would it be like if we gave up suffering and punishment in our relationships? Like, what if we related that if we're suffering and punishing in our relationships, that's what the breakdown is. 
Hmm. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with the other person or that this is like an untenable situation, just that because I've chosen in this moment to suffer based off of my belief set, my value system, uh, I, I get to suffer. And if I set that aside, I can have a conversation that might eventually get me exactly what I want. I think that's huge. Even even just the willingness to have that conversation is huge. Yeah. Man. So I think it gives everybody something to, you know, something useful to think about whether this is, you know, you may have no interest in, you know, going naked for fun. You may have no interest <laughs> in polyamory. But those are aspects to having a relationship work that then can be a foundation for almost anything. Yeah, any human relationship. And I, I want to support this belief, this idea as strongly as I can. Um, any level of mastery here, even if it's just like 10, 5%, will set you apart categorically from almost any other human being out there. Uh, if you want to be dateable, if you want relationships that work and last a long time, a lifetime, this is it. This is, this is the work that you will want to do. Um, I often talk about how the fight or flight response is so, so, so related to attraction because if I'm in my fight or flight, I cannot be attracted to someone because my body is too busy trying to survive. And if I can navigate situations where other people are triggered or angry or frustrated and so am I and get us both to a place where we're clear, that leaves room for that attraction and love to grow. And if I can't, then I might not ever be able to find it. I might get lucky and then I'll run into a confronting situation and it'll disappear. So if you were to leave with anything from this podcast, I would want you to get that if you're listening right now. Um, and I think that's, that's our time that went by really fast. Um, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. What a treat. I hope we do this again. Yeah, me too. And if you're listening right now and you got something from listening to our conversation, it sparked something in you, or you're just interested in hearing more. I would love it if you rated the podcast, if you shared it with a friend that might get something out of this, or if you subscribed. Every bit of interaction that you have with this material helps it show up a little bit more in the world. And we are out to create a world where dating sucks just a little bit less, hopefully a lot of bit less. So you can catch us next Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific time. Thank you so much for listening.